Dear congregation, uh, this afternoon's sermon will be on the third commandment, and so I'd like to read the third commandment from the law of God as we find recorded for us in Exodus 20. And we remember that uh, the first commandment, we are to uh, worship God alone and to have no idols before his face at all. And so therefore we are called to worship him exclusively. And secondly, we are called to worship him in the right manner as we find in the second uh, commandment. We are not to worship him through images or any physical or mental representations of God. And we are to worship him in the right manner. Third, third commandment deals more with our attitude in worship, our understanding and our, our attitude to God himself, especially dealing with the name of God. Let us hear God's third commandment, Exodus 20, verse 7, which will be our text. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I'd like to show how indeed God will not hold this, us guiltless if we take his name in vain through example and illustration from Hebrews, or sorry, uh, Leviticus uh, 24. Leviticus 24, and we'll begin reading with verse, verse 10. Now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel and this Israelite woman's son and the man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilameth, uh, the daughter of Debri uh, of the tribe of Dan. Then they put him in custody, that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take outside the camp him who was cursed, who has cursed. Then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger, as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbor... As he has done, so shall it be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it, but whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country. For I, the Lord your God, then Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and they took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. 
Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's also hear what we confess in way of the Heidelberg Catechism regarding the third commandment as we find in Lord's Day 36 and 37. You can find it on page 73 and 74 in your Psalter. Question 99. What is required in the third commandment? Answer, that we, not only by cursing our perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others, and briefly, that we use the holy name of God, no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us, and be glorified in all our words and works. Question 100. Is then the profaning of God's, holy, of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? Answer, it undoubtedly is. For there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. And therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Lord, say 37. Question answer 101. May we then swear religiously by the name of God? Answer, yes. Either when the magistrates demand it of the subjects or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. For such an oath is founded on God's word and therefore was justly used by the saints both in the Old and New Testament. Question 102. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures? Answer, no. For a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart, and he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. As far our confessions regarding the a third commandment from the Heidelberg Catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we think of the third commandment, we recognize it indeed deals with how we understand God and who He is. In other words, it's dealing with our attitude in worship to God. Simply stated, we are called to reverence Him, and use his name properly with respect. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Not take it in an empty way. Or empty it of its importance. Or empty it of its respect and worth and real value. But rather we need to uphold his name. The word vain means to rush. It's like a, a rushing wind or a hurricane that destroys and strips and leaves empty. When we think about it in, in these kind of words, we can see the obvious connection that we cannot 
take God's name in vain. The one who has created us, the one who provides for us, the one who the psalmist in Psalm 8 says, his name is most excellent, most glorious. His, his glory is set above the heavens. Not even the heavens can contain it. And yet we dare to take upon our puny, sinful lips the name of God in a blasphemous way which destroys and strips Him of His glory and empties Him of His respect. I don't know about you, but I can understand then why the commandment adds these words. Those who take his name in vain, that he will not hold him guiltless. It's something to think about. Is there any other name under heaven that is so glorious as the name of our God? Let's think about this in thinking about the third commandment, using God's holy name. First of all, we need to recognize that we need to have a holy and high view of God's name. When we think about God's name, we think about his identity. His identity. We don't necessarily think about that when we think about our own name. We, yes, my name is Scott, and, and yes, it tells you something about me, but really not. It just identifies me and separates me from someone who's named John or Mike or Peter or whatever. It distinguishes me from someone else. But when we think about God's name, we're thinking about not necessarily his name Elohim or, or, or Yahweh or anything like that. It's just in the letters of the word. But we're actually thinking about his name and what it signifies and means. God's name has significance and meaning. It is excellent, as the psalmist says, because it teaches us about the greatness and the grandeur of our God. And yet names are important for us, aren't they? I can almost imagine someone saying something about Brother Mike here. And all of a sudden, Sister Linda's ears perk up. What are they saying about him? It got her attention. And someone says something a little bit negative about him. And she stands up to defend him. That probably happens in most of our marriages. Why? Because we have a relationship with that person. We value that person. We respect that person. We love that person. We cherish that person. And even in their imperfections, we're going to stand up and we're going to defend them. 
What about God's name? A God who created us. A God who's given his only begotten son to die for sinners such as us. A God who loves us so much that he continues to plead with us through his word, desiring a relationship with us, to be one with us. And when our God's name is taken lightly. And when people don't have the right attitude toward our God, we fail to stand up in defense of the God who's given everything for us. It's an abomination. When God says that he is Yahweh, that means that our God is sovereign and holy and powerful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a covenant-keeping God, faithful, all-knowing, He is the one who comes to reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush. Tell Israel, the I am that I am has sent you. Yahweh. And to know that we have a God who is holy and faithful and sovereign. And don't treat him as if he is holy is an offense to God. When we do not bow the, bend the knee before King, the King of Kings, the Sovereign, the Potentate of Potentate, then we blaspheme the name of our God. You see, we have to have a high and holy view of who our God is in order to rightly worship Him and to rightly confess His name. When we confess that our God is faithful and we don't trust in Him. When we confess that our God is all-knowing and we walk and we live as if our God doesn't see a thing. When we confess that our God is majestic and His name is excellent and we don't glorify Him in all that we think, say, and do, we blaspheme his name. It's not just about the very words that we take upon our mouth. It's about our attitude toward God. And what it requires when we have a holy and a high view of God is to have an attitude of faith. An attitude of faith rather than unbelief. What faith does is says, yes, I can take God's word and who he says he is and what he says he has done. And I can believe it. I can trust it. I can take it to the bank because I know my God is true to his word. But an attitude of unbelief rips God of his glory. It's like that hurricane wind stripping away the very truth of his word. Unbelief is the ultimate act of taking God's name in vain. 
because you have a very low view of God when you can't believe Him and take Him at His word. And when we have this low view of God, whether it be unbelief or just seeking to bring God down to our level and treating God like a, like a neighbor down the street or a buddy who you'd want to go and golfing with or something or fishing with. When you bring God down to our own level, you bring Him to a lesser level than who He is and you rape Him of His excellency. You know, we've all been tempted to go down this road a bit. On one hand, sometimes when we pray and when we call upon the name of the Lord, we want to have a high view of of who God is and, and we want to maybe even change our voices and change our demeanor to properly reflect who we think God might be. And sometimes I've heard great distortions of people's language because they're praying to God. And, and that's, not, that's not proper either. God wants us to talk to Him and to address Him just as He is. But then there's this other side that stands there and says, Oh God, we just thank You for this. We, you know, we... We're so, we're so grateful for that, and we're so grateful for that, and acts as if God's, God's just this Santa Claus buddy down the street. And that's not a high view of God either. We need to have a sober, real view of God that acknowledges Him as a relational God whose glory yet cannot even be contained by the heavens of heavens. We need to have a high view of God. A view of God that radically changes our hearts and transforms our mind and conforms us in all aspects of our life to the very image of His Son. As James and James 3 points out, that if we are implanted into good water, as it were, you're going to produce good fruit. And even Jesus himself says the very same thing. Think of Matthew 12. He says, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And what's in the heart is going to come out of the mouth. And so when we have a high view of God, it's not only going to affect our communication to God, but it's going to affect our communication to one another in this world. Have you ever considered the fact that there are no other creatures who have the gift of communication like we do as humans. We have been created in the image of God as a relational being in order to communicate with one another. And our identity then comes from God as image bearers of God with this gift of communication. And God, therefore, is calling us not only to talk to Him in the right way, but talk to one another in the right way. You see, when we have a high view of God, and when He takes us into His family, He makes us His children, 
anointed ones, children of the King of kings, the one whose glory the heavens cannot contain. It's going to change our language. Because when he's in the heart, our language begins to change. That same tongue that comes forth, that cursing comes forth, it stops so that blessing can come forth. And yet, that tongue we recognize from James is absolutely hard to control. And so it needs to be discipled. And that comes through having this high view, this holy view of God. And therefore, we're going to, as Paul says in Philippians 4, we're going to begin to think and to speak things that are true, that are honest, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, are of good report, that have virtue in them, that are praiseworthy. These are the things that we begin to think about. These are the things that fill our mind and our heart and flow from our mouth because of a heart that's radically changed by God. And then our conversation becomes like the conversation God requires of His royal children. Our conversation becomes less careless and more careful. Our conversation becomes more respectful rather than disrespectful. Rather than being degrading, it becomes noble. Rather than being obscene, it becomes pure. Rather than cursing, it becomes holy. And rather than profane, it becomes reverent. The only way that's going to happen is if we have a high view of God and we know that He has given us an identity as His children. Children of the King of Kings. And that's what makes the abuse of God's name so horrific. I'd like to see that, secondly, the horrific abuse of God's name. Taking God's name in vain or emptily is offensive to God because of who God is. He is not a little God. And he certainly isn't a little G God. He is the God of the heavens and of the earth. And we need to recognize when we have this high view of God that Anything less than worthy of the name of our God is a serious offense to our God. And it's described as cursing. And that word means to express a wish of misfortune or evil or downfall. Or it could also mean to blaspheme. To speak irreverently about God, to speak evil of Him, to slander Him or abuse Him, or even give others the occasion 
to blaspheme him. We think of David here, especially. 2 Samuel 12, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, the biggest problem was in his sin, in his life, and was that he gave occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the Lord. And because of that, his child, who was born, had to die. That's how serious God takes the abuse of his name. Not only the words that come from our mouth, but our very actions. When we do not lift up the name of our God to its proper place, in all of our words and all of our actions, then we cause the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. When the enemies of the Lord have reason to not take our Lord seriously, we cause his name to be blasphemed. That's a serious offense. A serious offense that leads to certain punishment. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. It's a very powerful illustration that's used in Leviticus 24. Where these two people are fighting. And you know how easy it can be to be in the heat of a conflict and to be losing or whatever it might be and to say a curse word or a swear word. You think, well, this poor person probably just slipped out because in the tense of the fight, there he let out a curse word. He blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. And they sought the Lord's will in this. And the Lord's will was this. That all who heard him had to go and put their hands on his head and the rest of the congregation had to stone the person who blasphemed God. Stone him to death. He shall the Bible says, be put to death. And they did. God takes the abuse of his name very seriously. It doesn't get more serious than death. And notice in the passage here, it's not only talking about the person who actually did the blasphemy. It's also talking about all who heard it. They also had to be partakers in ensuring this sin remained only on the person who did it. In other words, silence wasn't an option. Turning away and acting as if they didn't hear it wasn't an option. As a matter of fact, our catechism says it this way, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of the horrible sins in others. And certainly, if we have the right opportunity, we need to talk with them. But we need to recognize, in a sense, that we bear this sin if we hear it. And so, we not only need to be careful how we talk, but we also need to be careful how we hear And it's not only because 
It's offensive to us, but it's ultimately offensive to God. And we need to speak well of the Lord. You know, we live in a day and age where we, we value, in Western society anyway, freedom of speech. Do we? Sounds pretty good. We value freedom of speech. But do you realize the third commandment? That the freedom of speech could take away you and my freedoms to read. It could take away our freedoms to watch. It could take away our freedoms to listen. Actually, freedom of speech should have some limitations. We are never free to take God's name in vain. Never. The Bible says there's to be stoned to death, not only in Israel, but even the strangers. That's how important God's name is. And when we say someone has a freedom to say or write or do anything, then we cannot have the freedom then to read such literature, watch certain television shows or movies, or listen to certain music. We don't have a freedom to do that. They have taken it away. Because they have taken the name of God in vain. That's hard to do in our society. Maybe I just ask you and myself, how how seriously do we take the third commandment? In the workplace, many of you have construction crews, many of you own businesses, let alone the entertainment that we may engage in. What is the music that you and your children are listening to? The television shows. The movies. And you say, well, there's only a couple swear words in it. And I get it. But if I told you there was only a couple drops of arsenic in the soup that you were going to have on Sunday afternoon, I doubt any of you would drink, eat it. Do we take this seriously? And I look at my own heart to my own life. Do we take it seriously in our communication? About who God is. About who our God is. 
Do we take it seriously when we speak of the Lord our God in society? Because there is a proper holy use of God's name. That's what I want to look at briefly in our third point. Is not only having this holy view of God and, and understanding the horrific abuse of his name, but also to realize there is a holy use that goes along with his name. As a matter of fact, so holy that the scribes and the Pharisees thought it would be better that you would not use God's name at all. And so when they would come, some of them, when they would come to the section where it would say Yahweh in Hebrew, they would skip over the word, give it a little pause. Because we cannot use that name. It'd be safer for us not to even take that name on our lips and even intentionally skipped a little spot in their trend, uh, manuscripts because they couldn't even take that name on their pen. And it's no wonder they accounted Christ as a blasphemer when he said, Before Abraham was, I am, saying he is Yahweh. And even though Jesus was accused of being a blasphemer, calling himself God, worthy of death itself, because indeed he had cursed God. And according to Leviticus 24, he needed to die. That same name contains salvation. God has come and He has given His Son a name. And His name is Jesus. Jehovah. Salvation. The holy use of God's name. testifying he is faithful to all of his promises in the Old Testament and now has come in his Son to reveal unto us the Father and to give him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow and every tongue should confess to the glory of God the Father. That was promised in Isaiah 45 where we read in Isaiah 45 that we are called to look unto, uh, unto, unto me or God who is Savior because there is none else. And he says, I have sworn by myself and the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. It shall not return at every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what Paul picks up in Philippians 2. His name contains salvation. And as a matter of fact, God Himself, because He can't swear by anyone greater, takes His own name as an oath. Hebrews 6. In Hebrews 6, we find that uh, there are two immutable things. It's impossible for God to lie. God cannot change. And so therefore, we have hope because of God and who He is and that He can swear even by His own name. That He has given His Son as a sacrifice for sin. That His blood has been shed as 
as a satisfaction for our sin, and He has lived a righteous life for our eternal life. And we can take refuge under the wings of His salvation. We can know that in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He has promised. And He has sworn an oath in His own name. We can take that back to God. Isn't that what our catechism is actually getting at? When it says, we are to use God's name with fear and reverence so God might be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all of our words and works. We can rightly confess Him as Jesus Christ, as Lord, as Savior. And we can find refuge and strength in Him. That's what it means to confess His name, to rightly use His name for our salvation. Can I, can I just ask you, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you do not believe that He is your Savior today. Do you realize that every moment you live and you are not trusting in God as your Savior, that you are taking His name in vain? And what would it be to take His name in vain? What would it be to trample upon the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has come to die for sinners? Don't we find that in Hebrews chapter 10? This God who has sworn an oath, this God who cannot change, cannot lie, and who has given promise after promise that when we lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have true and full and free salvation. He says, how much worse punishment do you suppose that he would be worthy of who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant as an unclean thing? Every moment we live in unbelief, we take God's name in vain. Well, what an encouragement we have in the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ has come. And He has come and He has been accused of blasphemy at the most heinous level. He has been taken to the Sanhedrin. He has been taken before Pilate. And he has been accounted as a blasphemer before men. And God allows him to go to the cross as a blasphemer in the eyes of men. So that people who blaspheme God, even thieves on the cross who were cursing him and blaspheming him, could be saved. 
even on the cross. What hope there is for you and for me in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to cover also the sin of the third commandment. And what encouragement that gives us as believers to press on with a high view of who our God is, with the right attitude toward our God in our whole life, that God would rightly be confessed and worshipped and glorified. That in our prayer, we would esteem Him highly. We would acknowledge Him for who He is. And we would pray, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth. And we would worship Him and sing His praises. And that we would walk in His ways. That our hands would be employed to His service. That our mouths would speak of His glory and His works. And witness of Him as we extol His name. That's a holy use of God's name. And as we live our lives, whether it be in our marriages, whether it be as church members, whether it be taking seriously our baptismal vows, or or every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we recommit our lives to God, as we serve as office bearers in the church or serve in various offices in our society, as we do our business and make promissory notes and contracts, as we take citizenship oaths, as we serve on juries or whatever we do to confirm our word that it be yea and yea and nay and nay, that a truth would be established and justice would reign, that all is encompassed in the third commandment. And we need to have our lives come under the glorious truth that God has given us this gracious commandment. Do not take my name in vain. My name and my identity and my attributes and character are far, far too important for you to rape them of my glory. That's what God is telling us. And so as believers, we would never want any one of our spouses or our children raped. I'm sure of it. Let us never rape our God and strip him of his glory by taking his name in vain. Amen.